Chapter One of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars, by Harriet Lemus Smith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One, an end and a beginning. For full five minutes, neither Peggy nor Priscilla had spoken. They sat side by side in the streetcar, knitting for dear life, and each wore an expression of solemn intensity. Enough was happening, as far as that goes, to shadow the brightest face, but at this particular minute the two girls thought only of the cocky-colored sweaters, growing to completeness under their unpractised fingers. It was Peggy's second sweater. The first had been a joke, and to fail in this as well would have been, in Peggy's estimation, nothing short of a tragedy. The car stopped at the crossing to admit a little group of college girls, each with a knitting bag on her arm. They made their way down the already crowded aisle, till within a few feet of the absorbed pair. Peggy and Priscilla looked up to nod and smile, and Peggy's hurrying fingers slackened their pace as she listened. "'They're talking about the history exam,' she confided to Priscilla. "'Everybody says Dr. Mackenzie gives terrific examinations, but do you know, I've hardly thought about it.' "'Neither have I.' owned Priscilla. "'I suppose I'll get through it all right. I'm pretty sure I shall. But somehow, Priscilla, I can't feel as if it would matter very much if I didn't.' "'Yes, I know.' Priscilla let her work fall. "'Such big things are happening that the little things like doing well in college or having a good time don't seem to matter.' Both girls were silent for a moment. Like hundreds of thousands of others, they had changed their point of view completely within a short time. For many months they had been reading and talking about the great war raging across the sea. Strange foreign names had become familiar to their ears. They had shivered over the tales of atrocities, and had thrilled at the stories of valorous deeds unsurpassed in history. And yet all the time there had been a sense of unreality about it. Peggy had felt as she did when she wept over the death of Jean Valjean. But that was all past and gone. America's entry into the war made them feel as if they had waked up from a bad dream only to find it a reality. Graham Wiley had volunteered at once, and then had come to Peggy to tell her what he'd done, a new grave manliness about him that made him seem many years older since the previous day. "'Oh, Graham,' Peggy had said with a little catch in her voice, "'does Ruth know?' "'Not yet. I wanted you to know first of anybody, Peggy.' "'Poor Ruth!' Peggy's eyes filled with tears. She was so sorry for Graham's adoring sister— and then, with a tremendous effort, she swallowed those tears and faced him with a rather quivery smile. Didn't the boys have enough to bear, she asked herself indignantly, without having girls crying and making a fuss. Only it would be terrible for poor little Ruth. Peggy had always supposed that ending her freshman year in college would be a memorable occasion. One year finished, and sophomore dignities within reach. But for months she had gone through her duties almost mechanically, and now that commencement was at hand, the anticipated season had shrunk to insignificant proportions. The nation was girding up its loins, making ready for war, and the little ambitions and triumphs of everyday life were all dwarfed by the vastness of the moment. Peggy and Priscilla left the car as the college girls were streaming from the dormitories in the direction of the chapel. The friendly terrace girls joined in the procession, but before they reached the chapel door, someone caught Peggy by the arm. "'Are you going to volunteer, Peggy Raymond? You're just the one to do it.' volunteer for what? Peggy had wished herself years older and a trained nurse, 
countless times in the last few months. There's nothing I can do that amounts to anything, she said with unwanted self-deprecation. Why, for the land army. Somebody is going to talk about it at chapel this morning. Don't you see how it is, Peggy? All the young men are called to the colors, and it's up to us girls to get the work and keep the world from starving to death. Peggy was all interest. Priscilla, on the other side, listened intently, occasionally asking a question, few of which the junior, who had intercepted them, was able to answer. But what she lacked in information she made up in enthusiasm. A passion for service was sweeping the country, like a prairie fire, and these girls asked only a chance to serve somewhere, the harder the work and the more sacrifice involved the better. Had the speaker of the morning presented her cause far less convincingly, she would still have met with a hearty response, for many of her audience had been waiting for just such an opportunity. Since Peggy and Priscilla had entered college, the quartet of chums on Friendly Terrace had generally met some time during the afternoon, their long years of intimacy, bridging the chasm which separates college freshmen from high school seniors. On this particular afternoon, they had all agreed to be on Amy Lassell's porch at five o'clock, the inevitable knitting bags, of course, accompanying them. Not one of the four girls would have thought of sitting down for a chat without a piece of knitting to employ her fingers. Ruth was the only one of them to come on time. At five minutes after five Priscilla made her appearance, something in her manner suggesting excitement. But it was not till a quarter of an hour later that the usually punctual Peggy arrived, noticeably out of breath, her cheeks flushed and her eyes glowing. "'What did your mother say?' she demanded of Priscilla, ignoring the others. "'Why, she says we can be well taken care of. Yes, so does mine. And she wants to be sure we can give up if we find it's too hard. But of course it won't be.' "'What is it? What is it?' clamored Amy and Ruth in chorus, their accent betraying a sense of grievance. It had been a little hard for both girls that Peggy and Priscilla shared so many interests from which they were shut out. "'The land army. We're going to enlist.' "'To fight, you mean?' gasped Ruth, turning pale. Ruth's imagination was a vivid one, and in a twinkling she had seen Peggy in a uniform, a rifle over her shoulder, marching away to perform deeds of daring. The others laughed at her look of consternation. "'Yes, to fight potato-bugs and tomato-worms,' remarked Amy. "'I've heard about it before. Tell us everything you know, Peggy.' Peggy repeated the substance of the morning's address at the college chapel, occasionally prompted by Priscilla when her memory proved inadequate. For once the knitting was neglected. Cocky-colored balls of wool dropped to the floor and sought inaccessible positions under the porch chairs, taking a mean advantage of their owner's absorption. The four heads almost touched as the girls leaned forward, unwilling to lose a word. Their faces were as serious as if the outcome of the war depended on their efforts. "'But it isn't just college girls who are wanted, is it?' asked Ruth presently. Anyway, Amy and I are through high school now. We're the same as freshmen. I think they're glad to take anybody who is strong enough, Peggy answered with a significant emphasis on the last two words. Now that Graham was at the training camp, she felt an added sense of responsibility for Graham's sister. She's hitting at me, I suppose, said Amy, while Ruth's ready color rose. It's true that I'm rather delicate for a farmhand. You're always saying you want to reduce Amy Lassell. Here's your chance. Eight hours of pitching hay will do it if anything will. That doesn't tempt me as much as the overalls. I once dressed up in some of Dick Raymond's clothes for a charade, and I've never forgotten how unhampered I felt. I don't wonder little boys cry out to be put into trousers. You must think it's going to be a joke, Amy, remonstrated Priscilla, on whom her friend's irrepressible gaiety sometimes jarred, especially in these strenuous and anxious days. It won't be anything of the sort, believe me, up at half-past five every morning except Sunday. 
Amy made a wry face. She insisted on being called regularly at seven, and then turned over and went to sleep again, till routed out at quarter of eight by her scandalized mother. "'You can't really enjoy being asleep,' explained Amy, when taken to task for her inconsistency. "'The fun isn't going to sleep, especially after you know it is time to be up.' Priscilla followed up her advantage. "'And there won't be an ice-cream parlor on every corner, and I dare say we won't taste candy once while we're away.' "'I've given it up, anyway, till the war's over,' Amy said quietly. "'I saw in a window somewhere the weekly sugar ration in England and France and Italy, and then a pile showing how much we average here in America. I never felt so like a pig in my life. I ought to be a regular sylph by fall,' she added blithely, "'pitching hay all summer and doing without ice-cream and candy.' "'I don't suppose we'd all have to pitch hay, would we?' asked Ruth a little anxiously. While not an especially delicate girl, she was far from robust, and the activities of the hayfield impressed her as somewhat formidable. "'The haying season doesn't last so very long,' Peggy explained wisely. "'But all the work is hard, almost too hard for you, I'm afraid, dearie.' "'Oh, don't, Peggy!' Ruth cried sharply. "'I can stand it all right, and I want to do my bit just as much as the best of you do. "'But there are other things to do besides farming.' "'Oh, yes, knitting,' Ruth's tone was contemptuous. I guess when the cold weather comes, the boys will be glad of every bit of knitting. And then the Red Cross wants workers for the surgical dressings, suggested Priscilla. Yes, I know. Ruth's face whitened. But it doesn't seem to me I could possibly do that work. Not if there was anybody else to do it. Every time I made a bandage, I'd think of Graham wounded. The other girls were silent. Ruth was the only one of the four with a brother in the service. "'You've done more than all the rest of us together, more than we can do all summer,' cried Peggy at length, "'no matter how hard we work.' "'I know what you mean, Peggy, but Graham's work isn't mine. If my life goes on just the same as ever, except for a little knitting and a little extra self-denial, I wouldn't blame Graham a bit for disowning me when he comes home.' The situation was becoming critical. Ruth's tears were very near the surface. Amy came to the rescue by asking if a knowledge of farm work would be a necessity for enlistment in the land army. For I have never done any gardening, even. When they set me to weeding, I always pulled up the plants that dared show their heads above the ground, and left the ragweed to flourish. We'll all be ignoramuses together, said Priscilla, the rawest of raw recruits, but so are all the boys who are enlisting. They'll learn, and so will we. The talk went on, and the six o'clock whistle blew, and nobody paid any attention till Dick Raymond came across the street to tell Peggy that dinner was on the table. Then the three girls collected their balls of wood from the remotest corners of the porch, and took their departure, while Amy went indoors to startle the family with the announcement of her plans for the summer. Within a week everything was settled. Commencement was over. Ruth and Amy were the possessors of high school diplomas. Peggy and Priscilla had finished their first year in college, and had a right to call themselves sophomores but none of the four were thinking much of what had been accomplished. All were looking forward to what was about to begin. Mrs. Wiley had held out against Ruth's entreaties to be allowed to join the land army, as she was sure her daughter was not strong enough for such work, but the other three girls were enrolled for the hand-to-hand conflict against the grim forces of famine. End of chapter 1